So, hello and welcome to this new episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with Irish comedian <laughs> Michael Redmond. So, hi, Michael. It's great to be hello. chatting with you. Oh, likewise, Paula. Yes, we sort of we communicated a lot on Facebook. We never, actually, never actually chatted to you before. I don't think. Yeah. Oh, it's been a while, Michael, but, you know, we, we, yeah. we got there eventually. We got there. Yeah. So, I mean, you're probably best known to the, the whole world as Father Stone, <laughs> Channel 4's Father Ted. So you, you were a priest who basically went to stay at the parochial house on holiday and you got struck by lightning. But you're yeah. obviously people don't, what people don't know is that you're a, a long established writer and a stand up comedian. It's, it's really, that's really what I do, really. I mean, I'm like, mm. um, the Father Ted thing was great. I mean, I'm really proud of it and happy now, but I'm not really, I'm not really an actor, I'm more of a, a stand-up. I mean, I think the, the, the Father of Stone thing came about because the, the writers of Father Ted, Graham and Arthur, came to see a show I was doing with Ardell Hanlon and I think it was Dylan Moran in the Bloomsbury Theatre in London. I was, living, I was living in London at the time. And um, after the show, these two guys, i never met them before, they just said they were writing this sitcom about three priests on an island off the west coast of Ireland and they might have apart from me, and I didn't really think any more about it, to be honest. But I think, about, I think it was probably about four or five months later they kind of was called in. It was kind of an audition, but it wasn't really. I think they'd already decided they wanted me, but I think the producer, Jeffrey Perkins, just wanted me to read a few lines just to make sure kind of thing, you know? No, he didn't and, say um, a lot, in fairness, did he, Paul, Paul no, Stone? No, that's the thing. I'm not really... I'm, saying I'm not really an actor. I, can't, I, mean, I, I can act within a very strict framework... You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, if somebody, I'm not sort of the actor who can sort of take a script and do his own interpretation of it. I'm, I'm not really that kind of performer. I say so they, they, they gave me the part because they'd seen my stand-up act because my stand-up act then was very much um, understated. I would just do a one-liner and yeah. pause and then do another one-liner. Um, I think I've kind of speeded up a bit because it got a bit boring doing that after a while. But at the time, that's what I did. So I think they kind of saw me you sort of saw Father Stone in my stand-up act, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you have any input into the character, or did this? Did they kind of say to you, this is what we've got in mind for this character? You know? well, I, I, I didn't have any input in the actual script, but I mean, they kind of, you know, they kind of let me do it at my own pace, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he's very um, deadpan, isn't he? I mean, and you, yeah. your, kind of, your style is very deadpan as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm not as deadpan as I used to be, but yeah, at, at, at the time... <laughs> I was very deadpan, yeah, and um, I think that's, I say, that's what sort of made them decide that uh, I would suit the character of Father Stone, you know? Yeah, so you've you've um, mellowed with age anyway, Michael. I've livened up with age, I think. <laughs> very odd. I've gone the other way that most people do. Yeah, but it, I mean, it must be it must be really bizarre to be known, you know, so well known for for being this yeah. this character this character who was only in one yeah. episode, really. Yeah, it's bizarre, but I mean, it's, it's, but um, and also it was twenty five years ago yeah. as well. I mean, it just uh, it seems to be timeless. Yeah, and yeah. But the other thing is that it's um, I suppose I have a very distinctive face, and the the, <laughs> the whole series. I mean, I don't know whether, whether my episode has been repeated more than any others, but it seems to be on all the time because I keep getting people up to see. Oh, I saw you on television the other night, <laughs> and before or something or whatever. So, um, it just seems to go on and on, you know, which is great. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted, you know. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, isn't it? But I mean, it's on. It's on Channel Four. You t- you put Channel Four on of an evening, and it's on. There is yeah. an episode yeah. of Ted. Well, I think it's, 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 it's I think it's E Four because it's not Channel. It was actually Channel oh, Four that right. had to pay me. Right, right, right. Yeah, so if it's repeated on the actual Channel Four, then I get I think some like thirty three percent of the original fee. But if it's on E Four, I get 
four pounds fifty or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's really interesting. I didn't know that's how it worked. You know, with the uh, you know when when episodes are shown and stuff. It, it depends. It depends what sort of contractors negotiated at the time. Mm. Um, I think it was because my agent, because none of us are really well known. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'd done a bit of telly in England, but I wasn't really a well-known face. I wasn't a celebrity, if you like. So um, the the initial fee, I won't tell you what it was, obviously, but I think it was the same fee for everyone. It wasn't very much. So I think my agent negotiated the fact that, well, if the fee is going to be that low, then I want some kind of repeat yeah. fee, which was, um, which was pretty good because very few programmes are repeated as much as Father Ted. Well, that's the so thing. Good, Nobody knew, did they? You know, I don't think anybody no, no, ever did, no. thought it was going to... How big it was going to be. You know, it's always in the no. top top uh, sitcoms yeah, all the time. And also, the other thing is, also, when I was doing it, I was in the, only in the second episode of the first series, so when, when I was filming it, nobody had any idea. It hadn't gone out on television, so nobody had any idea what the response was going to be like, because, I mean, you can, you can get a certain idea when you're filming something, whether it's good or not, but you can't really be sure until it's all put together, you know, in the half-hour episode, and then you just watch it from one end to the other, but because you're filming in segments, you can mm. like to might do the last bit first and the second first bit in the middle and you know it just goes so you don't really get a sense of it when you're filming it um so nobody had a clue really I mean, you can say with any sitcom you don't really know until yeah. it goes out what, what what reaction it's going to get you know yeah i mean it's, it's literally a who's who of irish comedy gold isn't it you know every literally <laughs> yeah, yeah. pretty much every yeah, single is. actor in there is you know you now looking back on it you're like oh my god there's tommy tiernan you know odlo yeah, hannon yeah. obviously you know kind of yeah, and Graham Norton, obviously. Yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So hilarious. I think what they said was, the, I think you see in an interview, they said they kind of chose a lot of their favourite comedians for the different parts rather than sort of thinking of actors, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when I, I was living in the UK at the time, and obviously the, it, was, it was like this big sort of Irish invasion uh, of, of yeah. com- comedians. You know, we had all these, you know, as we said, we had Tommy, we had, you know, we had yeah. Dar- uh, Dara Breen's kind of come over as well. Um, yeah, and all yeah. these amazing, like Dylan Moran, obviously was, yeah. you know, doing his stuff as well, as well. But it was kind of like yeah. the Irish were setting the bar for the rest. Of, it seemed to be setting the bar for the rest of the other comedians at the time. Yeah, I think there was that for a while. Yeah, that does seem to be the case. I suppose also the fact that it was kind of like it was a bit different, kind of a, it was the same kind of way that Father Ted kind of hit hit the headlines. It was kind of it was a bit different to anything else that the Brits had ever done before. It wasn't a typical British sitcom, and I suppose the Irish stand-ups. And had a different take on things to British stand-ups, you know. So it was kind of a, it was a kind of uniqueness, kind of, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was very quirky, wasn't it? It was extremely, yeah. you know, off the wall, and it was just, it was unlike anything that we'd ever seen before. I yeah, mean, I suppose Irish comedy, but the Irish sense of humour is a bit more sort of quirky and off the wall than than English. But although I, mean, I wouldn't like to be too distinctive because I think, I mean, I love some English comedy. I mean, Monty Python was my oh yeah inspiration. You know what I mean? So. Um, there's some brilliant British comedy. It's not that the I don't think the Irish are particularly better at stand up. I think it's just at the time it was kind of totally different. You know, yeah. I think that's what it was. Well, that's the thing. We'd all kind of grown up with you know the Morecambe Wises and the Goons, yeah. and we had all this amazing sort of comedy history. And it was it was a bit yeah. like a, a breath of fresh air. You know, the this, this... yeah, it was just something a bit different, I suppose. Yeah, because yeah. you never and it was also a distinctive voice. Yeah, I suppose. Different, different, even a different accent, even you know. Yeah, seems yeah. Slightly, probably seemed probably slightly exotic or something. I don't know. But yeah, it's just just different, I suppose. But I mean, I mean, some some great English standards as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, at the time it was like with the, obviously with the the, uh, the passing of Dermot, 
and uh, yeah. the, uh, you know I, I went to a couple of the uh, recordings actually uh, right I went to the yeah. uh, the over 75s football match and <laughs> uh, and the very last one and it was you oh, know did you really? yeah, yeah it was crazy because yeah. I got home the next day and my dad was like oh did you hear about Dermot Morgan and I said oh yeah yes yeah, yeah, so I saw him last night and he's like no he's 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 died and yeah, I was like yeah. and he was just you know like what from what he was yeah. doing look you know scrap saturday and all that kind of, you know all the stuff he was yeah. doing gone be, gone before long before his time yeah well his dad i mean i knew Dermot quite well from, from dublin even long before father died because we only lived a couple of miles from each other yeah in, in dublin you know and his dad died around the same age as him it was just one of those ticking clock things you know because Dermot wasn't he didn't smoke and when he drank but he wasn't uh you know he wasn't an alcoholic or anything so, yeah <laughs> just you know just one of those ticking clock things that's just yeah. in your jeans, you know? Yeah. No, it's just weird, though, wouldn't it? You know, the the day after filming the, the final episode. Yeah, it's like maybe because some... he was just kind of holding himself to kind of finish it and then kind of maybe just his body just relaxed or something. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's yeah. Sad, I don't know. So, I mean, do you, what do you think of... Um, what do you think it is about uh, Father Ted that it's it's kind of... It's kept its longevity? What would you say? Well, well number one, that there's... I mean... It, I was actually speaking to somebody last night about it. That it could still it could be filmed now and it'd still be just as good. It's timeless. That's the thing. It yeah. wasn't because it was set in this weird place. It could be there any time. It could have been done in the nineteenth century. <laughs> have been, well, I mean, obviously some of it couldn't have been done in the nineteenth century. But you know what I mean. There's no. It's, it's totally timeless. I think that's why it's not. It's not set in any particular time or, yeah. any, or you know, and, and even even not in any particular place because I mean the. The place itself is an absurd setting for a sitcom. You know what I mean? It, 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 strictly speaking, it doesn't actually exist. But so, so it's just it's, it's that thing where it, um, timeless is the only word, only word, yeah. way to describe it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I was just thinking actually of that little you know the little photo that was at the end of the episode with with you and Ted with yes, your arm around Ted, and it just went through the whole series. It was there on the. On That's the right. Sorry, I, I didn't realise that. Yeah, only, somebody only mentioned that to me the other day that it was, yeah, it was on the mantelpiece or something. Oh, it was so good. It was a nice little twist at the end, you know, that, that yeah, Paul was yeah. sort of held him in such high regard. And, yes, uh, indeed. Just yeah. Ted and Dougal were just um, like. It's a strange thing. I mean, the Father Stone character is a strange I think um, you do get a lot of people like that. In, well, not a lot of people. But I remember there's always kind of people have uncles coming to visit them at Christmas, the, un- the uncle who never married and yeah, yeah. comes for Christmas and never says anything. <laughs> <laughs> He's just invited for Christmas. He doesn't actually have anything to say. <laughs> so you do get, I think there are a lot of Irish people like that, you know? Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. It was quite quirky in the, with the characters, not necessarily the sort of the set characters, but, you know, like uh, yeah. John and Mary that worked that were in the shop. Yes, and, yes, you know, yes. it was all kind of obviously they'd taken it from... I don't know. I like to think that they've taken it from real, real life people that they've encountered. Well, I think they probably did. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they did. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, kind of like it's also like kind of keeping up the pretense that everything's fine and it isn't. <laughs> Beating the crap out of each other, you know, behind closed yeah, doors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Indeed, um, yeah. So let's yeah, let's, well. let's go back in time. Anyway, um, so okay. when you were growing up, were you were you a funny kid in school? Were you kind of the class clown or? I, I, I wasn't really the class clown. I was kind of. Um, I was witty amongst my own mates, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I wasn't kind of like, I, I, was, I was never an extrovert. I mean, I, I never really um, set out to be a stand-up because, I mean, I'm, I'm not as introverted. I was fairly introverted. I, was, I wasn't introverted with my own friends, if you know what I mean. But I wasn't your, I wasn't your class extrovert by any means, no, not at all. And um, I had no plans to be a stand-up comedian. I love I loved sort of thinking of comedy things and maybe writing things down and um, that sort of thing. Because the way I started off was I used to write... Uh, 
kind of topical one-liners for a guy called Mike Murphy. I don't know whether you've heard yes. of him. Yes, yeah. Kind of, uh, he used to have, it was kind of like, um, he used to have a morning radio show, a bit like the one Terry Wogan had on BBC. Slightly, slightly playful air to it. And I used to write topical one-liners for him, which Dermot also used to do as well. And that's how I kind of got started. It was kind of like this, I, I liked the writing side of it and I had no plans to be a stand-up comedian, but I just couldn't make any, I couldn't make a living out of just writing the odd one-liner for RT Radio. You know? Yeah. So um, some guy, a guy called Billy McGrath, set up a comedy club in, in Mount Marion, which is near where I lived. So I started, I, I just went up and did a few bits and pieces and it went quite well. But there was no, there wasn't really any comedy scene in Ireland then, um, which we, um, there still isn't any great comedy scene, I don't think, from what I can tell, compared to other places, which there should be because it's such a big city. But um, yeah, so then I heard about the comedy circuit in London and um, I, I just went because I heard there's, you know, there's, there's quite a few clubs in London. And in those days, it was a lot easier yeah. to get gigs because I mean, there's only about 20, 25 comedians. So you could ring up clubs and get an open spot within a week. Now it takes about six months, apparently. <laughs> oh, my God. And, um, yeah, and even even then, then you did an open spot. If it went well, you could get a booking within two or three weeks. So yeah. within kind of two or three months, I was actually earning a living as a comedian in London. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. So, I mean, what sort of aspirations did you have? You know, obviously your career advisor is sitting there and saying to you, you know, what what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your well, life? That's thi- well, that's the thing is that it, <laughs> it took me so long because, I mean, I was, I, was, I was kind of brought up in a kind of a suburban, it's in Black Rock, and you probably know it, I don't know, yes. living in Dublin. Because it's very suburban and very residential and um, very middle class. Well, my parents weren't sort of uh, sticky middle class types, but I mean, that was the general sort of feeling. You kind of either went into insurance or accountancy or, or architecture or became a solicitor. That was kind of the culture I was brought up in. You wouldn't have thought of becoming a chef or a joiner. Or, you know, <laughs> a that was kind of out of the question. And so, um, yeah, so I just kind of, after school, I just kind of went took a job in an insurance office and it was fine for a while because it was, it was quite a big office and it was quite a young people and we just kind of had a bit of a laugh but then kind of people started drifting away and kind of went into some other smaller insurance company and I just hated it I mean it was never you know never free for me and then I just had these various office jobs for about 10 years until I was about 30 I think just going insane most of the time really because I, I had no idea what to do because the moment yeah. uh even then, there wasn't. Even though I had no plans to be a stand-up comedian, there wasn't any comedy in Ireland anyway. There was no comedy clubs. There was the kind of the standard, uh, you know, the what were called working men's clubs, where you know the, these comedians did, you know, blue material, as it was called, yeah, and yeah. Or mother-in-law joke kind of things. But there was no kind of what we do now. There was no there was no tradition of that in Ireland at the time. So I know I really kind of had no idea what I was going to do until I started writing this stuff for Mike Murphy. I think that was. I was about thirty, thirty-one then, I think. Mm. So I was, I was, yeah, well, it takes a while, doesn't it, I think, to find your feet and kind of yeah. know what you really want to do. You always, end, you know, I think we've all done those horrible, horrible jobs that we hate, we absolutely hated, yeah. but had to, do you know what I mean, you had to do it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean the thing is that it, it wasn't just that, it was, it was the psychology of it. If, if I knew, kind of, if I had a plan, then it wouldn't have been too bad. I, I would think to myself, well, I'm just doing this job yeah. until I can become a comedian. But it wasn't even that, it was kind of like, this is my life and I'm going insane, you know, because I know, uh, I had no idea of being a comedian. I just thought, you know, am I going to be spending the rest of my life working in an office and doing work I've absolutely no interest in and slowly going insane, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had obviously so, like, um, you know, Barry Murphy, Kevin Gildee and Ardell when they set up the uh, the international, the comedy cellar. And it was it was yeah. kind of like, a, a, I don't know, it was a bit of an epiphany for 
it felt like a bit of an epiphany for Irish comedy around that time. Yeah, well, I, I'd already left. Um, I was already in London. Then. That was kind of after I left. That was kind of after my time, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, they should have got in there. They should have got in there sooner, shouldn't they? <laughs> yeah, they should. They should. They should, they should have been older. They should have been my age and started when I was there. Yeah. yeah exactly. Exactly. Oh, hindsight, yeah. Michael. Hindsight. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. what was what was your first ever stand-up gig like? I've looked. I've, I've seen a few bits on YouTube with the with the Mac. The Mac that you yeah, used that's to right, wear. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah. What, what was your first gig like? Was it was it kind of scary? Well, or? Well, it was, it was, I think it's the same with everyone. The, the first gig is a mixture of um, terror and, and um, <laughs> uh, sort of over self-confidence. Yes. <laughs> you kind of think you're going to be great because you just have the stiff in your head because you've never performed before, but you kind of think you're going to be very good, but you're also absolutely terrified, you know. Yeah. It, it, was, it, was, it was just when I saw this guy, that uh, Billy McGraw opened this comedy club. Yeah. In, in Mount Mary, and it was, it was in the basement of a place called Sportsman's Inn. Um, I don't know whether it's still there or not. It probably is. Anyway, um, it went okay, I think. But, but the thing is that, you know, there, there wasn't any great pressure because there wasn't any... I was, I was, nobody was going to compare me to anybody because it, yeah. it was just myself and I, it was a guy called Kevin McAleer. I don't know if you know yeah, him. Yes, very dry, even. very dry-witted. Yeah. I love him. He's so good. Yeah, yeah. He had, the, he had that amazing slideshow on Friday Night Live with the Owls. It's an iconic piece. <laughs> Google it if you haven't seen it. It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean he's um, he's so good, isn't he? Again, he's he's got that yeah. very kind of deadpan, and the accent as well kind of adds adds it something does, it's to kind it. Of, yeah, it's, it's kind of yeah, slightly rural accent, yeah. But yeah, it was it was Kevin McLear and myself, and there was a few others that I, I can't remember. And I think it went fairly well. I can't I, I can't even remember what I did. To be honest, but um, <laughs> it, it only lasted about the club only lasted about six weeks, I think. Yeah. Six shows, and there just wasn't enough people or enough. Yeah, you've blotted out the memory, Michael. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, probably have. Yeah. Too traumatic. I, 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 I don't think um, I don't think I died in my arse anyway. I think I'd remember that. Ah, no. You always remember. You always remember dying in your arse. That's the thing. I think but if I, you I, had, if you had, I think you would have said no. That's, that's, I don't think that's for me. We'll yeah, just, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll try something I, else. I don't remember. I don't remember raising the roof either. It probably just went okay. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. First time at anything is going to yeah, be. It went well enough for me to carry on. Put it that exactly. Way. Exactly. Um, so. I mean, yeah. what was it about London? Was it just what you'd you'd heard people talking, saying that that well, was kind well, of where well, the work well, was? Well, I mentioned Kevin McAleer that because um, uh, I think he got, he'd gone over to do the circuit, and I think I met him. He came back to Dublin for some holiday. I just yeah. met him by chance. And he started. He was telling me, you know, he said, "What are you up to?" And I said, oh, "I'm working in some shitty office somewhere." <laughs> and he said, "Well," <laughs> he started telling me that he'd gone to London and there was a comedy circuit there, and he said, "You know, you should give it a go." So I just went, basically. And you never looked Because, I mean, I, I don't mean to lose him. And I said, I'm not even sure if I, I was either in a job I hated or else unemployed at the time. I can't remember. So I wasn't sort of giving up any sort of golden career and throwing it all away by going to London. It was just like, nothing to lose, really. You know? Yeah, I think it was probably a good time to go, wasn't it? Kind of that era. Oh, it was perfect. It was perfect, yeah. I mean, it was also because, I mean, it was... As we were talking about that, kind of distinctive. It was kind of a bit different to the other English comedians because it was a bit... You know, because it was Irish and it was mm. and, and a bit different, so it, um, it worked out perfectly for me. Yeah. There wasn't as much competition then either, so I mean, I, within a year, I was doing the comedy store nearly every second weekend, you know, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at the, some of the talent that's, that went through there. You know, Robin Williams was in there all the time, and you know, all these yeah. amazing, amazing people that have played yeah, at indeed, the store. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, are, yeah, are, are you are you based in you're based in Glasgow at the moment still? Yeah, yeah, I've been in Glasgow for nearly, I guess, 20, 22 years now. Yeah. 
So what yeah. what prompted that? I mean, it's going from London, well, it, it London to Glasgow. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a career move. It was um, my my partner at the time. We were living in London. We had um, twin sons who were yeah. very young, and I'd kind of been in London for a while. I was kind of getting fed up doing the circuit, and um, she was from Glasgow, and we kind of I've been up to Glasgow quite a few times, and I quite liked it. Well, she was offered a job in Glasgow, and I was kind of fed up doing the circuit, and I thought, yeah. oh, I just, yeah. and I fed up with London a bit, because we had no family there. We were young, young twin sons, and we had no family, and she had family up here, so it was kind of a domestic move rather than uh, a career move, you know, because there, there was nothing really in Glasgow. There was one comedy club called uh, the State Bar. It was, a, it was the State Bar of Sucky Hall Street, um, but there wasn't, and the stand wasn't even in Glasgow then. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean Glasgow's really, really come on, hasn't it? In the last sort of last sort of five, oh, yeah. ten years, it's it's a, it's hugely, it's changed hugely, you know. It has, yeah, mentally. I'd much prefer it to Edinburgh, if I'm honest. I'm, I'm not, I'm not in any way anti-Edinburgh. I mean, I think there's some really nice aspects of Edinburgh as well, but I prefer Glasgow. The, the people are a bit sort of more, I don't know, homely or earthy. There's kind of, yeah, there's kind of a different, different vibe, I think, you know. Mm. So, I mean, are you? Uh, I heard that you regularly do the Edinburgh Fringe most years. Obviously, not this year. Yeah, well, I've done. I think the last time was um, a couple of years ago. I think I can't remember the last time I did it. It was a couple of years ago, anyway. Maybe it's time for you to get um, back. Yeah, get back there next I've, year. I've done, I've done it fairly regularly. I've never. I haven't done it sort of consistently. Yeah. Every year, I've done it kind of. I've done probably about ten or eleven over the last sort of twenty years. You know. I'd say it's a good place to kind of reconvene with your mates you know people that you know from the industry you know it's yeah it's, it's exactly yeah it's kind of it's kind of a yeah, comedian well i won't say holiday because it's hard work but, um, <laughs> it kind of has that sort of feel about it yeah, yeah and you regularly yeah. hear this the, the you know uh, comedian saying about how it's just literally you're you're throwing money down the toilet you know a lot, well you are basically a lot yeah, of the time. you are to a large extent but i think it's not the same as it used to be it used to be kind of like where um if you did well, if you got sort of that, it was called the Perrier nomination. Oh, I yeah. forget what it's called now. It was Carling or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It was huge because when people like Steve Coogan and uh, Sean Hughes, they, they kind of won the Perrier. And within sort of six months, they had their own television show. But I don't think yeah. it works like that anymore. Yeah. Oh, the Perrier was like huge, wasn't it? Back in the 90s. Oh, it was enormous, yeah. It, was, it could make or, well, you, you know, you make the, somebody. I mean, if you won the Perrier Award, you were, you were set for life as a comedian, basically, yeah. Yeah, because I think Dylan Moran won it one year, didn't he? And, and that's he... right, Dylan won it as well. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. Hughes and uh, Steve Coogan and uh, I don't know who else. Yeah. Uh, Lee Evans, I think. Lee Evans, I think, won it as well. Ah, uh, um, that's it. No, like so now, people are saying, don't know what it is. Do you know what I mean? Is that it's, it doesn't no, I mean, seem I, to I, have I, I the... don't even. I don't even know. I think it's either called Carling or something. I'm not even sure it is Carling anymore. Um, but I mean, I, I couldn't name any of any of the comedians who've won it in the last ten years. To be honest. No, I, no. I, I don't think it's, it certainly doesn't have the same. As it used to have, you know. Yeah, I mean, do you think comedy's changed a lot since your since you started in the circuit? What do you think has changed a lot in sort I, of? I mean, it's, it's helped me to tell exactly because I've been based, uh, haven't been based in London, so it's um, hard for me to tell. Yeah. Because you know, London is kind of the the centre of it all. Yeah. Really. But the impression I get from you know things like Live at the Apollo has become a bit more streamlined and probably more professional. I don't know, but maybe not as interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there was, there was um, I mean, when I was doing there was still pressure on him when I was doing it because, you know, if, if you didn't do well, you wouldn't get booked, obviously. But you didn't have to, if people thought you had kind of something, you didn't have to necessarily raise the roof in order to get a booking, you know what I mean? Yeah. You were allowed, you were allowed kind of experiment. You know, you were allowed kind of 
muck around a bit and try things out rather than having to be sort of 20 minutes of perfectly streamlined crafted material didn't have you didn't have to be like that mm. which i think you do which i think you do now because i can i don't blame the comedians as individuals I mean, there's so many of them that you know if they don't have their streamlined 20 minutes they probably just won't get booked you know yeah that's the thing i mean it, it, there was a period i mean I, I suppose it's still continuing now you know uh like comedy comedians and comedy groups a lot they became like rock stars you know, you had like uh, oh, Lee yeah, Evans yeah, yeah. and the Mary Whitehouse experience, and all these guys were playing were play yeah, arenas. Yeah. And you're like, it's, it's oh, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, I don't think, I mean, I've, I've never been to a comedy gig in an arena, but I can't imagine it would work. I think you need that, you need some kind of intimacy, you know. It doesn't have to be a basement. I mean, you can have a, you can have a good theatre gig, but it has, to be, it has to be some kind of intimacy. But those huge arenas, like, mm. you know, comedians doing gigs, and I can't. And they have screens up showing the comedian on the screen, but I mean, you might as well be watching it at home on television. Exactly. I can't see the, you know. Yeah. No, but I mean, it's just um, it's just a bit weird, isn't it? You, could, you you don't get the atmosphere. You know, if you say you go and see some no. improv or something, and it's just it's all about yeah, exactly. the crowd and the 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 interaction between the, interaction, the crowd. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe 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 the perception of people watching comedy has, has changed, and maybe because they're just so used to. Watching things like Live at the Apollo, for them, that's what it is, you know? Yeah. Maybe, maybe they just have a different view of it, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, are you still doing much in the way of writing or um, comedy writing? Well, it was, it was, it was up to the, up to the, oh, <laughs> the lockdown situation. Yes. Um, yeah, but still, yeah, I mean, I was still, I, was, I mean, I still used to sit down most days and try and write material, you know? Yeah. Because, I mean, I just, even for my own sake, just to refresh, for my own sake, just to refresh my set, you know? And, and, and for something to do during the day, because uh, <laughs> a lot of free time comedians during the day, so a lot of a lot of hours to fill. So that's the thing, I suppose. You know, when you're performing and stuff, it's all you know your evenings are kind of taken yeah, up exactly. and stuff, and then during the day you're writing and things. It's uh, yeah, yeah, about getting yeah, a balance, exactly. I suppose. And then you're thinking about the gig, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I haven't been doing it. But what I have been doing is. Uh, there's a, there's a new um, if I can give it a plug is that okay? Yeah, yeah, go for it. It's a, there's a, a site called Irishify.com. It's called spelled I R I S H I F Y dot com. Who are doing uh, these things called personalised video shoutouts? Oh, cool, yeah. So say say somebody. I mean, it started in America with a company called Cameo. That if you're reasonably well known, which Father Stone is more so than Michael Redmond. So if somebody say is a fan of Father Ted, and and in particular. Father Stone, in my case, but also Father Demo, Joe Rooney is on it, yeah, and also yeah, Patrick yeah. McDonald, his own myself. So you can get these personalised shout-outs. Say if you have a friend who's a fan of Father Stone, and you could order a video shout-out from Father Stone, which I would do over a video and send it to the irishify.com, and then they would send it to the person who's requested this video shout-out from me. So this person, say, say you had a friend who's a, fa- friend of fa- a fan of Father Stone, so you go to this irishify.com website and Ask Father Stone to send your friend this video birthday greeting, and that's that's what I've been doing. That's amazing. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, you, great. you can get that yeah, interaction great, yeah. with your favourite characters from TV, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you can do birthdays or wedding anniversaries or or weddings, in fact, or, or even, even divorce. I haven't had a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> your partner is your partner wants a divorce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. I could request imagine? a divorce on behalf. Request a divorce on behalf of the person in the, in the character of Father Stone. 
<laughs> you wouldn't you buy time if you'd believe it though, would you? Do you know what I mean? If you <laughs> You'd be like, No, he's messing around, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's yeah. why that's why I've been sort of basically been able to pay my rent a bit for, by doing those. That's the thing, you gotta do you gotta do what you gotta do, haven't you? Do you know what I mean? But, exactly, but yeah. like you know, Joe Rooney and uh, Patrick McDonald, obviously they're kind of still cashing in on their their father Ted stuff, you know, doing their yeah. Well, we used, co- their to, comedy we used to do gigs together up to about yeah. a year ago, but it was just kind of big, uh, it was just kind of difficult travelling back and forth. So, well, obviously, wouldn't be doing them now anyway. So, well, <laughs> what yeah. do you what do you think the future for comedy is at the moment with this all this? I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty grim to be honest. I mean, I can't see uh, I can't see any comedy clubs open up for a long time. I think even when they do open up. I think people are going to be very wary about mm. going because you're in a basement and you know there's nowhere. <laughs> so, well, no, but I mean, for you, know, you as a performer, you know, you go out on stage and there's a sea of there's people in masks and stuff, and you're like, what? What? <laughs> it's not going to work, you know. I mean, it's like sort of you know sometimes at the Edinburgh Festival, you go to these venues where they're just sort of so hot, and you see half the audience fanning themselves with fans, and it's just yeah. very yeah. hard to do comedy in that situation. Um, yeah, and if you can't even see them smiling, you know, behind the yes. mask. Yes. I think it would just be terrible. I can't see comedy working with masks. I think it would have to be, they just have to go without masks and take their chances. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the price of your ticket, you are taking a risk of COVID. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We guarantee you laugh, but you may get COVID. <laughs> <Take your chances>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it might be worth the risk. Do you know what I mean? I think we all need, yeah, a, laugh. Exactly, we all need yeah. a laugh at the moment, don't we, after the past sort of, <laughs> yeah. you know, seven months or yeah. so. Yeah, um, indeed, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you're, are you still doing uh, the, your Bishop Briggs in the Fags, Mags, and Bags? Are you? I think you're, st- you're still. Yeah, doing yeah, that? yeah. Well, I mean, was up to. We, we recorded um, the last series was about. It was probably just before the COVID set in. I think it was probably around maybe late January, February. Mm. We recorded the last. Um, it was uh, four episodes. So, how did that happen and, uh, originally? How did you get involved in that? Well, it was. Um, it's originally there's a guy called one of the co-writers called Donnie McCleary. Mm-hmm. He, he writes it with he co-writes it with Sanjeev Kohli, and uh, he came to the. You know, I, I do this gig called the Sunday Service at the stand. Well, I used to do this gig every every Sunday at the stand called Michael Redmond Sunday Service, and uh, Donnie came along one day with the media's, and we just got chatting. And he didn't come necessarily for that purpose. He just came along to see some comedy. Yeah, and we got chatting, and um, he sort of said that he had written this character called Bishop Briggs. <laughs> Because I think they'd already been in, they were already in about five or six series, I think, at this stage. I yeah. can't remember how many. And, um, but it, it came about because there used to be, um, there used to be a guy called a famous, famous Scottish actor, Jared something, Jared Kelly, I think is his name, who died a couple of years ago. But he played some kind of a priest in the series, and um, he, he sadly died, I think. And um, so I think they wanted some kind of religious <laughs> <laughs> character. <laughs> Being Scottish or Irish, and, they needed um, a priest, a local priest. They, need, they, need, they needed, yeah. So they probably didn't want to put in another priest because I mean, it might be a bit too stereotyped as being a priest, like the Father Stone thing. So they, so they promoted me to a bishop. It's not quite Father Stone. It's a bit more upbeat than yeah. Father Stone. Yeah, quite fun. Yeah, no, I think you sound totally different. You know, when you listen oh, yeah, to you listen good, to yeah. the radio series, it, you you wouldn't you'd know it was you, but it, it's. Do you know yeah, I mean? but it's kind it's, of a bit more, a bit more upbeat. Kind yeah. of, yeah. But I'm, I'm really grateful for them because I mean, uh, maybe have a tiny bit of it, but it was largely the writing of Donnie and Sanjeev, which yeah. is fantastic. And I just, I just love the series. It's just kind of knock about ridiculous, crazy stuff, which is the sort of comedy I like, you know. Yeah. Um, do you know uh, Gus Beatty? He's the one of the producers. Yeah, yeah, he's the producer. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Uh, he's a yeah, Gus, Gus producer. Oh, he's a good boy. Yeah, I know Gus. Yeah. I've known Gus for a few years. For the, uh, you know, absolutely. Yeah. The guys from yeah, Absolutely, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. yes, uh, came back. Yeah, I used to be, I used to be um, quite friendly with the Absolutely guys when I worked in London with Murray and 
Pete Beaky. I don't know if you know Pete Beaky kind of plays the music. Yeah. Oh, with, with his, uh, his songs and his piano and his guitar. Yeah, that's oh, right, I, yeah, was, so. I was obsessed. I was absolutely obsessed with that. Uh, absolutely. Oh, they were great, yeah. I did, I did an unfortunate warm-up for their, for their TV series once and I died of my arse. Oh, my God, really? <laughs> yeah, it's a very hard thing to do because, I mean, so then I was just, I'd say I was very that kind of deadpan standing in a Mac doing one-liners, but then you've got these TV cameras quizzing in front of you yeah. getting ready for the filming and producers shouting from one another, so it was just, it was just dreadful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another great example of a series that was, it's, because, it's a cult, you know, even... So yeah, many yeah, years yeah. afterwards. Uh, I mean, I had Murray on the... Murray did a podcast with me a few months yeah, ago. Great, really oh, him, he's yeah. such a good guy. And he's so... Isn't he lovely? Some of the stuff he comes out with. And, uh, so I think it's Callum Gahooly character. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, he's so, so good. But they're so yeah, lovely. Know, Gordon, yeah. you know, Gordon and uh, Morwenna. All and sweet, yeah. All of, yeah. John all Sparks. People, yeah. But that kind of... It kind of says it all. The fact that they're doing... They're still doing the absolutely... The radio show, and it's still loved, you know, and yeah, pe- totally, people yeah, people yeah. still want to hear it. Totally, yeah. I mean, it's just yeah, it should be back on television as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but Gus Gus is so lovely, and he's so passionate about what. Oh, he is totally. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's lovely to work with. He really is. Because because um, when I went to do the fags, mags, and bags first, I mean, I was I was said to you because of the father, you know, father story. People think yeah. I'm an actor, but I'm not really. <laughs> and I was kind of I was just going to this room, and there was about already about 10 people there and I thought oh god these are all actors and I'm going to make an idiot of myself because I'm not really an actor but they're all just so supportive and Gus was so supportive and Donnie and Sanjeev and it was just the lines were just so brilliant but I didn't really have, you have to act it was just just great lines and it was just it was just brilliant because just when we just we just did a read through but I was, I was terrified before but everybody just laughed at everybody else and it was just just a great atmosphere, you know. It's just like almost being in a pub with a lot of mates on the laugh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think there are nine nine series now. They're up to, I think. Yeah, that's yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's, when you think about the, that, that there has been nine series, but normally, I mean, I, I know I know about maybe I don't know maybe ten, fifteen years ago, if you had that sort of length of of a series on Radio Four, you would automatically go, transfer to television. You know, it was given kind of that if it was a success on Radio Four, then it would more or less go straight to television but for some reason they've changed that kind of setup. I don't know why yeah you, you would think that they, they, they would think to themselves well this is has nine series so it's obviously mm. got a huge listenership and it's yeah. really popular so just do a pi- even do a pilot for television and see how it works you know I mean uh, instead they just don't seem to yeah, I don't know. Radio is a very different animal, isn't it? You know, I accept that just because something works on radio doesn't necessarily mean it'll work on television. I understand that, but I mean, if, if something is is, a, is successful on radio, give it you know, why not mm. give it a, a, a pilot? Just do to a pilot, it yeah. It is that popular because I think a lot of the stuff is could be quite visual, you know. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. The world is a very, very different place, isn't it? From you know the world, yeah. say say fifty years ago, you know. It, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. You know, you oh, got, totally different. Yeah, yeah, and all these kind of I don't know. Everything was kind of off the. I don't know though. You look at the the, the TV in the seventies, for example, mm-hmm. and it it was a totally different. You know, people were blacking up, and you know, <laughs> with, oh, yeah, there was all this. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. the, the two Ronnies were always blacking up, and you know, there was all yeah, this oh, stuff yeah, going yeah, on. Yeah. So it's it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. How? Yeah. So I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't really, I mean, I, I can see how it's come about to a large extent, but um, 
you can take it too far as well. I think you know the mm. political correctness is no doubt about that. I mean, it's be sensitive. But That's it. But yeah, I remember. I remember growing up. I mean, my parents who weren't racist, but they used to love the black and white. But you didn't see. No, it was different then. I mean, particularly in Ireland, it was a lot different then because there was. There was it wasn't the fact that there was no racism in Ireland, which there wasn't, but the reason there was no racism was because there was 99.9% Irish people <laughs> living there. <then. laughs> I've done this story in my stand-up act that it was, um, there was hardly any, any there was, I don't think there was any Asians living when I was growing up. There was maybe a few Chinese people, a few Chinese people yeah. who ran takeaways, but there was no Asian people. There was, there was hardly any black people. There was one black guy he was actually, he, he, was, he was quite notorious because I remember, I can't remember his name, but he was a student in the College of Surgeons in Trinity. <laughs> you just knew him because he was the only, I think he was probably one of one of two or three black people living in, in Dublin at the time. But I remember I remember this distinctly seeing a photograph of him. He was at some rugby match. It was a, a photograph of the crowd in the rugby match, but his face was circled. <laughs> No. In, the, in the crowd, and you know, it wasn't blatantly racist, but it was, what it said was underneath whatever his name was, spotted at a rugby match, <laughs> <in Dublin>. <laughs> <laughs> like sort of spotted like he was some kind of exotic bird or something. <laughs> but that's how unique it was to be not not to be Irish then, in, in living in, in Ireland. Then it was it was totally different, you know. So cosmopolitan now is great, you know. I mean, Dublin was. I mean, I think so it's that thing when you're when you're brought up somewhere that's. To you, that's what life is. You don't sort of yeah. think it would be much better if it was a bit more cosmopolitan. You just sort of think this is, <laughs> this is where I live. You, know, you don't sort of you don't sort of extrapolate from from what from what you're from what you're living in. It's just to you that's sort of what life is, kind of you know, when you're yeah. younger. Yeah, that's it. If you don't you know, know any di- if you don't know any different, you know, you're not gonna exactly. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't even exactly, think about it. Think, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the way it was. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So yeah, it's like that sort of thing. You don't you don't miss what you never had, or kind of thing. It's, what it is, like, that's what it is, so you just get on with it, you know. Uh, written the other day, I was, I was a fan of Lee and Herring back in the day. They were, they were massive yeah, yeah. at one point. I've got this, right, vague, yeah. va- this vague memory of Stuart Lee doing a, a thing about a joke. One of your jokes was used... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite a notorious story. Yeah, that, what was um, that about? He's it, it, one of this mainstream comedian called Joe Pasquale. Oh, right. Quickie voice guy. Well, he did... Um, <laughs> also, the, the, there used to be some programme uh, televised every year where I think the, there was usually royalty out of it. Oh, like called. the Pala- Palladium. Some, yeah, that's something the Palladium, like the Palladium yeah, or something. But anyway, I, I used to... Um, it's very hard to explain it, but when I used to wear my Mac and be very still on stage and just do one-liners... I, I used to do a gag where I would, I, I would already a sort of, the audience would have kind of realised I was a slightly strange persona. And in the middle of it, I would just sort of pause and just say, people often say to me, hey, you, what are you doing in my garden? <laughs> and uh, it doesn't make sense over the phone unless you see me do it. But, uh, anyway, this guy, Joe Pasquale, um, did it. At, uh, uh, but I, I'd already done the gag on Clive Anderson Talks Back, so it was clearly my joke. Yeah. You know, everybody knew it was my joke. But this guy, Joe Pasquale, he probably had... The prob- I think a lot of these guys have writers going around clubs picking up things. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, he did this... Uh, he did it on the, the show in front of the royalty, whatever it is, and surely picked up on it. And... Um, <laughs> but he, d- he did a whole routine about... You 
what's the point of Joe Pasquale doing that joke? Because Michael Redmond did it as a very strange character standing there in a Mac. <laughs> and you would feel a bit freaked out if he was standing in your garden. But if Joe Pasquale was standing in your garden, you'd say, what the fuck is Joe Pasquale doing in my garden? So he did a whole brilliant routine about it, which was hilarious. But there's another story to that. I, I've told this quite a few people as well. That, uh, it was a few years after that happened where Stuart Lee had sort of trumped it up and done a routine about it. It was, it was about two or three years later. I, was, I turned on daytime television and there was a chat show at the time with Des O'Connor and some woman, I can't remember her name. Oh, Mel, Melanie Sykes? Mel, Mel, yeah. Melanie Sykes, that's it, yeah. It was yeah. a chat show anyway. But anyway, I, I just turned on the television. I didn't sort of turn it on for that. I just turned the television on and that was on. And it was in the middle of, Des O'Connor was in the middle of an interview with this youngish guy who was about 16. And it became clear throughout the interview that the guy wanted to be a comedian. So Des O'Connor says, so can you give us an example of one of your jokes? And he did one of my jokes. Oh, my <laughs> God! But, but I'll tell you who he was. He was, he was Joe Pasquale's son. Oh! <laughs> oh, you couldn't I make couldn't that one up, could you? My, yeah, they always have my jokes written up on their kitchen board, you know? <laughs> you got a picture of you in the, you know, picture of you in the yeah, front room yeah, on, the, on the mantelpiece. Exactly, yeah. How, yeah, how yeah. bizarre! How bizarre is that? You know, but I mean, did did Stuart kind of did he talk to you before he, you know, or did he just go for it and? Oh yeah, yeah, you know, he rang me up. Yeah, he rang me up initially, and um, you know, not for, he, he was I think he was writing. Uh, he did a column in the, the Times, I think, or the Sunday Times. Yeah, or maybe it was just a once off. Anyway, but yeah, he did. Uh, he wrote a whole column about it in the Sunday Times. <laughs> And then, um, no, I don't think I spoke to him before he did the before he did the actual routine. Yeah. As far as I know. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I mean, it kind of heightened my profile. It was great. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Complain, you know? God, but I mean, you wonder yeah. how rife that was, you know, back in the day. You know, how many? Yeah. How well, many people well, were... well, it's even. I, somebody told me it's even more. See, the thing about that was that it didn't matter to me because I'd already done it on television. So yeah. He he looked like an idiot, you know, because <laughs> I'd already everybody knew as my joke. But there is the reverse now that for. Um, but I think, I, I don't know, I, I, I can't name any names. I don't even know any names that particularly do it, but I've heard other comedians say, such and such comedian who was on television did my gag. Mm. Now, the thing is that I don't necessarily, the comedians are necessarily deliberately ripping off the other comedians, but they've got writers yeah. going around clubs, and the writers come back and say, oh, here's some new material for them. They're not going to tell them this is such and such a joke. So then what happens is that the, the comedian who's on television does the joke and as far as the public are concerned that's that yeah. comedian's joke so then the comedian in the club does it and they say oh that's I saw that on telly a few weeks ago that's not your joke which, in, which it is you know what I mean so it didn't matter to me because I'd already done it on television but yeah. a lot of comedians are I think there's a fair bit of ripping off going on there um, possibly more from from writers who are employed by comedians rather than the comedians themselves, you know? Yeah. You kind of wonder, what, like, what is the point? Do you know what I mean? If, you, if you're not going to write your own material, surely... Yeah, I mean, know? yeah. Particularly the, sort of, particularly the sort of stuff we do, I think a lot of it comes... I won't, I won't be too wanky about it, say it comes to the heart, but it is your kind of... It's a kind of personalised viewpoint. Yeah. On things. It's not, it's not like a, It's not like a joke where, you know, Paddy the Irishman, Paddy the Englishman, Paddy the Scotsman going to a pub. It's a kind of a... Your personal view on life or take on life, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that's it. If you don't you know, know any, di- if you don't know any different, you know, you're not gonna. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't exactly. even think about it. Think... Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the way it was. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So yeah. it's like that sort of thing. You don't, you don't miss what you never had, or kind of thing. It's, it's just 
what it is. Life is that's what it is. So you just get on with it, you know. Yeah, um, I was uh, reading the other day. I was I was a fan of Lee and Herring back in the back in the day. They were they were massive yeah, yeah. at one point. Yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I've got this vague, right, yeah. Va- this vague memory of Stuart Lee doing a, a thing about a joke. One of your jokes was used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's quite what? a notorious story. Yeah, that, what was um, that about? It's it, one of this mainstream comedian called Joe Pasquale. Oh right, yes, we know Joe Pasquale. Squeaky voice guy. Well, he did. Um, also, the, the, there used to be some program. Uh, televised every year, right? The, there's usually royalty out of it. Oh, like called? the pal- Palladium. Some, yeah, that's something Palladium, like the yeah, Palladium. Or something. But anyway, I, I used to. Um, it's very hard to explain it, but when I used to wear my Mac and be very still on stage and just do one liners, I, I used to do a gag where I would, I, I would already a sort of. The audience would have kind of realised I was a slightly strange persona. And in the middle of it, I would just sort of pause and just say, People often say to me, Hey, you. What are you doing in my garden? <laughs> and uh, it doesn't make sense over the phone unless you see me do it. But, uh, anyway, this guy Joe Pasquale um, did it. At, uh, uh, but I, I'd already done the gag and Clive Anderson talks back, so it was clearly my joke. Yeah. You know, everybody knew it was my joke. But this guy Joe Pasquale, he probably had. The prob- I think a lot of these guys have writers going around clubs picking up things. And, yeah, yeah. You know. Anyway, he did this. He did it on the the show in front of the royalty, whatever it is. And, Surely picked up on it, and um, <laughs> but he did, he did a whole routine about you know what, what's what's the point of Joe Pasquale doing that joke because Michael Redmond did it as a very strange character standing there in a Mac, and you would feel a bit freaked out if he was standing in your garden. But if Joe Pasquale was standing in your garden, you'd say, "What the fuck is Joe Pasquale doing?" <laughs> <in my garden?" laughs> so he did a whole brilliant routine about it, which was hilarious. But there's another story to that. I, I've told us quite a few people as well that uh, it was a few years after that happened where Stuart Lee had sort of trumped it up and done a routine about it it was, it was about two or three years later I was I turned on daytime television and there was a chat show at the time with Des O'Connor and some woman I can't remember her name oh Mel Melanie Sykes Mel, Mel, yeah. Melanie Sykes that's it yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a chat show anyway but anyway I, I just turned on the television I didn't sort of turn it on for that I just turned the television on and that was on and uh, it was in the middle of, Des O'Connor was in the middle of an interview with this youngish guy who was about 16. And it became clear throughout the interview that the guy wanted to be a comedian. So Des O'Connor says, so can you give us an example of one of your jokes? And he did one of my jokes. Oh, my <laughs> God! But, but I'll tell you who he was. He was, he was Joe Pasquale's son. Oh! <laughs> oh, you couldn't I make couldn't that one up, could you? Yeah, so I always have my jokes written up on their kitchen board, you know. <laughs> you got a picture of you in the, you know, picture of you in the yeah, front room yeah, on the on the mantelpiece. Exactly, yeah. But how, yeah, how yeah. bizarre! How bizarre is that? You know, but I mean, did did Stuart kind of did he talk to you before he, you know, or did he just go for it and? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, he wrote me up. Yeah, he wrote me up initially, and um, you know, not true. He, he was I think he was writing. Uh, he did a column in the, the Times, I think, or the Sunday Times. Yeah. Or maybe it was just. Once off, anyway, but yeah, he did. Uh, he wrote a whole column about it in the Sunday Times, <laughs> and then um, no, I don't think I spoke to him before he did the before he did the actual routine. Yeah. As far as I know, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I mean, it kind of heightened my profile. It was great. I yeah, mean, definitely. Train, you know? God, but I mean, you wonder yeah. how rife that was, you know, back in the day. You know, how many? Yeah, how well, many people well, were... well, it's even. I, somebody told me it's even more. See, the thing about that was that it didn't matter to me because I'd already done it on television. So yeah. He, he looked like an idiot, you know, because I don't really, everybody knew is my joke. But there is the reverse now that for um, that I think 
I, I don't know. I, I, I can't name, name any names. I don't even know any names that particularly do it. But I've heard other comedians say, such and such comedian who was on television did my gag. Mm. Now, the thing is that I don't necessarily, the comedians are necessarily deliberately ripping off the other comedians, but they've got writers. Yeah going around clubs and the writers come back and say oh here's some new material for them they're not going to tell them this is such and such a joke so then what happens is that the, the comedian who's on television does the joke and as far as the public are concerned that's that yeah. comedian's joke so then the comedian in the club does it and they say oh that's I saw that on telly a few weeks ago that's not your joke which, in, which it is you know what I mean so it didn't matter to me because I'd already done it on television but yeah. a lot of comedians are I think there's a fair bit of ripping off going on there. Um, possibly more from, from writers who are employed by comedians rather than the comedians themselves, you know? Yeah. You kind of wonder, what, like, what is the point? Do you know what I mean? If, you, if you're not going to write your own material, surely... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Particularly the, sort of, particularly the sort of stuff we do, I think a lot of it comes... I won't, I won't be too wanky about it, say it comes to the heart, but it is your kind of... It's a kind of personalised viewpoint. Yeah. On things, it's not, it's not like a, it's not like a joke where you know, Paddy the Irishman, Paddy the Englishman, Paddy the Scotsman going to a pub. It's a kind of a your personal view on life or take on life, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the thing about you know different but, comedians. If we all if we all laughed at the same thing, you know, life would be very yeah, very yeah, boring, yeah, yeah. wouldn't it? Exactly. Yeah, it's a very subjective thing. But it's like um, I remember I was doing a gig uh, in Liverpool years and years ago. I was still living in London and I was with the. Uh, Liverpool comedian called Tim Clark, who used to do the circuit. He probably still does, I don't know. But um, he was from Liverpool, and he, he kind of, he opened up a club in Liverpool, or started a gig in Liverpool anyway, but I, he asked me to do it, and which I happily did. But he was also a mainstream comedian on the bill. I forget what his name was. But anyway, after the gig, um, he said to me, I really like that joke you do about such and such. I can't remember what the joke was. Yeah. But he said, uh, I, I, I use that. It's, uh, that's a great joke. I really like that joke. But he wasn't trying to be clever. He just sort of thought, that's a joke, so, uh, you know, they're just, they're in the ether, so if you hear a joke that you like, you just use it. You know? they, they don't have, they didn't have that sort of concept of that, maybe that comedian has spent three months thinking that joke up or writing it, you know. It's kind of unbelievable, so though, isn't it? That you can just literally hear something and take it as yeah. as your own. Yeah, 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 and you can't copyright it, that's the problem, either. you can't copyright a joke, it's impossible, you know. Yeah, I mean, you got people like you know, like Bob Monkhouse in the day. He was famous for all his joke books and stuff. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I think there was a lot. There um, was a lot back then of people stealing. There was a lot of kind of well, not stealing. Let's say it's, it's not used well, to well, it. Yeah, well, they, 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 well, see, that's the way they didn't see the stream. They just thought if you yeah. hear a joke and you think it's good, well, then you tell it. It's not kind of like you don't sort of think that's such and such a joke. It's a bit naughty. You know, it's, it's a bit uh, naughty, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's like I don't yeah, know, yeah, stealing yeah. someone's child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, we're well, not quite as extreme. Well, as that, you know, that, that is an extreme. <laughs> well, it is, yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's a good, it's a good metaphor, um, Paul. I'll give you that. <laughs> but um, I, I'll tell you, a, a quite a funny. I won't name the comedian, but um, one of the modern day comedians was—he was—he was on some show with Bob Monkers. I don't know whether it was television or whether it was a live show, but um, Bob Monkers did this gag anyway on the show, and the comedian. Um, the modern comedian who, who was on the show with him came up to him and said, Bob, by the way, that's, that joke you did about such and such, that's, that's my joke. And Bob Monker says, uh, OK, just for a lot of minutes. And he went, um, he went backstage and got this book from, of, of his gags, which he'd written. And I think it, it was some, the diary was 1978, and he just showed him and says, uh, Oh, my God. I think you'll find, find it's my gag. <laughs> 
That's the thing. He didn't mess with Bob. You know, he, he was. No, I heard but, he was. He was meticulous. I mean, he wrote some. He wrote some. I mean, you kind of associate him with a kind of smarmy, yeah, Christian host. But he wrote some. He wrote some brilliant material. Some great gags, you know. Yeah, some of his stand-up stuff. I was watching one of his last performances. Uh, yeah, I don't think what he did at the BBC was well done. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, just yeah, it was incredible. Great. I mean, he, uh, one of my favourite jokes. One of my favourite jokes is his. It's kind of a comedian's joke, but it says, um, "I told um, when I was younger, I told, I told everybody that I was going to be com- a comedian. I'm going to become a comedian." And everybody laughed. He said, we're not laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> That's got me one of the oldest in the book. One of, in, in one of yeah, Bob's, Bob's but books. It, but, it, but, it, but it is his joke, though. He was the origi- originator of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, you know, he, he kind of spanned all these different things, didn't he? You know, and people didn't really know yeah. him for his stand-up. No. Towards the end, he, 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 was... he, he, he can be quite dark as well. You can remember him saying that, um, I've absolutely no fear of dying at all. It's that that rigor mortis business afterwards that I'm terrified of. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> very dark, very great, dark. Oh, yeah, my God. yeah, very funny as well. So, I mean, who would have made you laugh uh, when you were when you were growing up? What sort of you know? You you mentioned Monty Python earlier. Well, it was, it was originally the Marx Brothers because my father oh, used to wow. love the Marx Brothers. I used to love the sort of Groucho Marx's one-liners, you know, <laughs> and it's just general kind of anarchic attitude to everything. That was great. So it was initially the Marx Brothers, I think. Or, or Groucho in particular, yeah. that kind of really inspired me. Then, um, then the Goon Show on, on radio, obviously, I used to love that. Oh, the Goons um, were incredible. You know, Peter Sellers was, was just great. so versatile. Yeah, yeah, I just love, I love, just love the madness of it. I kind of not saying, you know, I think Fags, Mags, and Bags is a similar kind of. It's not similar to the Goon Show, but it's kind of that kind of sort of madness going on. Yeah, anything can happen, kind of thing. That, that sort of comedy I like, and also then. When Monty Python came along, I was really lucky with Monty Python because um, you couldn't get BBC in Ireland then. Really, there was no, um, there wasn't any BBC in Ireland. But uh, the part of Dublin I lived in, uh, on the coast, you could pick up BBC because there was a BBC signal thing in Hollyhead or something like that. Yeah, it was obviously a big, it was obviously a big thing. I don't know, I, I, I'm not very good in te- technological <laughs> things. But anyway, we could um, we could get BBC in, in parts of Dublin, and that's how we got Monty Python. So. Um, yeah, I mean, Monty Python really opened up my... Because I, I kind of always had that kind of... I suppose I looked on life in the same way they did, but I kind of mm. had a few friends who, did, who looked the same, but I didn't really think it was... You know, many people thought the same we did. But then when I saw Monty Python, I thought, well, I'm not, we're not alone. You know? <laughs> there are other people who have that kind of mad outlook on life, and it was, you know, it was, it was kind of a, an emancipation almost, you know? Yeah, I mean, they were very of their time, weren't they? But... A- but, on the other hand, they yeah. were, they're still... They, they were timeless. You know, you can still watch Python now... And laugh as yeah, much yeah, as you did when you, when exactly, you first yeah, watched it. I think it. it's been probably they've they, they probably suffered a bit that it's been it became so popular that kind of you get people in pubs doing it all the time and it's just kind of you know people just <laughs> that's enough now you know but it still is basically timeless yeah yeah and you got that when they taught they toured didn't they they well it didn't do a tour they did like a couple of nights in London or something and uh, yes, yeah. um, who was it John Cleese was saying he needed to pay for. Uh, his ex-wives or something. He was. He needed money for his to pay I think for. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of alimony payments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's honest about it, at least. But you know the yeah, fact. Sure is, yeah, and the, yeah. the gig sold out in you know in in minutes. Oh yeah. You know. I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean they're still they're still huge. I mean I think it was still so many. Even if they did now, I think it was still so large. Yeah. It's about being versatile as well, isn't it? When you look at Palin, 
and all the stuff he's yeah, done yeah. since since you know all his traveling and all these different these books yeah. and his his travel shows. I think he's probably one of the the nicest of them, Michael Palin. He comes across as a really nice guy, and is maybe he isn't. I don't know. Maybe he's just very good actor, <laughs> but he seems a really nice guy. And that's I think that's why his travel programs are so good because he just seems so genuine, you know. I don't think I, I don't think he is actually. I think he just is a genuine sort of chap. I like I like to think he's he's nice. Eric Idle though, I don't know. Eric Idle, I'm kind yeah. of. I don't know whether he'd be. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think he'd be as warm as Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Still bloody funny. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's just that wit, isn't it? That very kind of acidic yeah. thing that yeah, he, yeah. he had going on. But they've all, you know, this is the thing. A lot of those people. I was just thinking about Spike Milligan actually from the from the Goons. I mean, he was he was yeah. he was blacking up back in the day. You know, I mean, people are still. It's still much loved. I suppose it was kind of like if there's such a term of well I suppose you can't really have harmless reason, but it wasn't kind of it wasn't hate related if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah. It wasn't kind of you know it wasn't meant to be offensive, put it that way, even if it was. Yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. Um let, let's yeah. talk let's talk a little bit about music. Okay. Um yes, so yes. what do you have a favourite artist or a band that you've you kind of followed? Well as, as, well, as I mentioned I'm not, I'm not really I mean it is strange. I mean I do like music but I don't I don't really know kind of when I was growing up comedy was the thing but I suppose Music-wise, Van Morrison would be my mm. kind of go-to sort of musician. I like a lot of his stuff. But then again, if you asked me to name albums, I wouldn't be able to say that. <laughs> I've got the best of Van Morrison. <laughs> and I mean, I do, I, do, I do have CDs and I listen to them, but I mean, I, I, mean, I, I do like some other groups. It's not, I don't just Van Morrison all the time. I like, I mean, I like sort of Dar Straits, the Rolling Stones, yeah. and maybe The Killers, a few other... Things and um, the Dixie Chicks I like as well, oh, even kind of country music. Um, but uh, I couldn't. Once again, I you know you, you hear people sort of saying, you know, oh my favorite album by Bowie is this, or my favorite album. Mm. By this. I, I I couldn't name any albums. To be honest. I can, you know, obviously Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart. I mean, everybody knows that. I mean, I do like the Beatles as well. But I mean, apart from that, I, I probably couldn't name very many albums that I like. But I could name. Some musicians that I do like, yeah. Van Morrison probably would, would be one that I would listen to more than anybody else, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of got a timeless feel to it, I think. Yeah, again, I mean, he's still, you know, still doing stuff now and still just as popular, I think, as he yeah. as he was. I mean, have you ever, did you ever get to see him live or? I did, yeah. Well, it, well, in fact, only in the last, in the last couple of years is the only time I've seen, oh no, in fact, I did, I saw him once years and years ago in um, a place in the west of Ireland where they used to, Lisdon Varna. Lisdon Varna, yes. But, yeah. They, used, they, used, they used to do, I think, I think it was Christy Moore was on with the <laughs> yeah. Planksty as well. And um, Van Morrison was on as well. But I mean, it was kind of, I was very young, I think, and I was probably fairly drunk. I don't remember much about it, to be honest. <laughs> it's always drink <laughs> involved, isn't there? <laughs> I just remember waking up in a tent in some field <laughs> at four o'clock in the morning. It was pissing rain and it, I was parched and there was no water anywhere. We weren't near any village. That's, that's my memory of... <laughs> seen Van Morrison for the first time. But, uh, <laughs> since then, I've seen him twice. Yeah, it, was, um, it was about two years ago I saw him, and because uh, I have a niece who works for the O3 Arena, and she got tickets for my birthday or something, and uh, I went along. I mean, it, it, it was a good gig, but it was, once again, it's, I just found those big places yeah. just kind of no real atmosphere. It was, it was like a train station; with people coming in and out, walking to the toilet and going up to the bar. It was just kind of there was no real atmosphere. But then, by pure chance. Um, I don't know whether you know Glasgow at all, do you? No. Yeah, well, kind of. I know the city centre. I've got a f- couple of friends that live there. Yeah, well, well there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a park near where I live. It's not far from the city. called Kelvin Grove Park. It's I really know park. it very. I know it very well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, there's an old. Ba- well, it used to be an old bandstand, but they've renovated it. 
and I started doing gigs um, during during the summer at night time, evening gigs. Uh, for some reason, Van Morrison agreed to do a gig there, but I mean, it, it only holds probably maybe about three or four hundred people. But uh, it was absolutely amazing. It was just unbelievable. And he was in quite good form because normally he can be a bit of a grumpy after. <laughs> you know, but he was. Um, he seemed. He seemed, seemed to be in a good mood, and it was just. It was just. It was just amazing. It was just. Went on for about two hours, and it was just everybody was just sort of up and dancing and clapping their hands, and it was just an amazing atmosphere. You know? So that would be my my abiding memory of him. But that was only that was only about two years ago. I think. But yeah, it was called the Calvin Grove Bandstand, and it was. They've had quite a few big. Big sort of people there. I think people kind of like it because the atmosphere is so amazing. Particularly if the weather, it's a nice summer evening. You know, obviously, it's pissing rain and so it's That particular evening, it was really sunny and it was, it was just an amazing atmosphere. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I was there uh, two years ago. Two years ago for uh, the Divine Comedy. Funnily enough, played yeah. there, and they you, they've had you know like Rufus Wainwright. I think played there last year. Yeah, that's uh, right. Grace, yeah, did, yeah, Grace yeah, Jones yeah. and you know some really big big acts. For such a, a relatively yeah, small, I, I think it's because it's such, such a kind of a special atmosphere. They're probably that's probably why they're happy to do it. You know. Oh, there were bag searching and everything going in. It was <laughs> body searching yes, and yeah. oh, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. But um, and yeah, it was such a um, nice, such a nice venue. I mean, it was right kind of in the middle of the yeah. in the middle of the park, and uh, even like the little the seats. You know the way it's kind of tiered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so, so it's like a sort of a, yeah, uh, old fashioned sort of Greek theatre kind mm. of thing. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, so it's probably one of the best gigs I've ever been to. Even though you know, I mean, I've already liked it before I went, but uh, it was it was just so much better than the O3 Arena. It was just so much more atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the thing about you know when a band when a band gets so big or an artist gets so big, you know, one minute they're yeah. playing the Olympia, say, and the next minute, as you say, yeah. they're, they're playing these these I don't know these these huge, three, massive yeah, massive sure. massive venues and stuff. It, I don't know. I just think the atmosphere is. You're just in a room with a load of people who a lot of them probably don't really want to be there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, a, lot, uh, a lot of sort of corporate tickets and things yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah, no, it kind of ruins it a bit. You know, give me the Olympia or, you know, or somewhere. Yeah, more, yeah, <laughs> Vicar Street. Yeah, or... you, you can, you, you, yeah, it doesn't have to be a basement. You can, you can have a good atmosphere in Vicar Street or the Olympia, as you say, yeah. Thank you so, so much, Michael, for chatting with no, me. No, it's a pleasure. It, it's no. Been, no, it's, it's, good, it's good fun, Paul. It's, it's been lovely. It's a pleasure. And um, give my love to Dublin. Mm-hmm.